the Dada Di Dada Code by Robert Rankin Chapter 49 Cometh the hour, cometh the man, and things of that nature, generally. Evacuate, evacuate, Inspector Westlake cometh. Evacuate who? asked Constable Paul. To where? asked Constable Justice. The Queen first, I think. We have to clear the area. And as there was just room for him to get his hand upon the truck's ignition key, and as he was sitting at the steering wheel, Inspector Westlake keyed the ignition, put the big truck into gear, broomed the engine, and let that trucker roll. Sir, went Constable Cartwright, sir, can you actually drive this vehicle? Out, cried Inspector Westlake. Constables Paul and Justice, stay in this truck with me. Other constables, out. Alert the Special Operations Unit to make way from the park at the hurry-up. To where? asked Constable Cartwright. Perhaps Brighton, said Inspector Westlake, swinging the wheel and plowing through a rather lovely flower bed that had been designed by the late Henry Hunter, based upon that of Francis Dashwood. Out then, out! Constables Cartwright and Rogers took to tumbling from the truck. I think we should probably evacuate too, said Constable Justice preparing to join the evacuating constables. Live to fight another day, eh? Not a bit of it, my lad. You will aid me in disabling the nuclear device and making the arrest, or possibly the termination of suicide bombers. Termination? Constable Justice mulled that one over. It would be a risky business. In fact, it was a risky business. The bomb could go off any minute. But terminate? Would that be terminate with extreme prejudice, sir? Inspector Westlake nodded, hunched low over the steering wheel, and swerved the truck through further flower beds, somewhat unnecessarily, in Constable Paul's opinion, toward the big house. Wherein? The laptop was back in the poacher's pocket. Johnny Hooker was making haste along a secret passage. Author's note. Exactly why it was that Johnny hadn't showed up on the advanced sat-nav was anyone's guess. Perhaps Count Otto's gang showed up because there was more of them. Yes. That was probably it. Phew. End note. We're off to the pub now, aren't we? Asked Mr. Giggles. Or is it an internet cafe? It's neither, said Johnny. I have business here. But no weapons, said Mr. Giggles. No big laser cannons or atom-blasting ray guns or anything. I'll manage somehow. Johnny bumbled on in the darkness. But he bumbled with determination. A man on a mission, as it were. Cometh the hour, cometh the man, and all that kind of caper. As Her Majesty might have said. But she wasn't saying it now. She was having another cuppa and dunking a custard cream in that antechamber next door to Princess Amelia's sitter. You can come round to my house for tea, she said to Ahab the Arab. You can all come round if you want to. If you'd just like to sign the official documents, said Countess Vanda, I've had them printed out on the photocopier. If you'd sign two copies each, one for yourself, the others for PM and the President, you all know the drill. Brios were brought to bear. Signatures were signed. If it wasn't for the fact that it's all down to God, said Bob, we could all give ourselves pats on the back. Would someone like to pat my back anyway? It does get me really excited. Elvis turned away and dunked his biscuit. The Queen gave Bob's little back a pat. And then things got a bit confusing, as there were suddenly a lot of shouting and bustling in as an inspector and two constables, 
one of whom had a very large weapon, made an unexpected, unwarranted, and quite unwanted police presence. Emergency situation, panted the inspector, who'd got a bit puffed on his way up the stairs. Have to ask you all to evacuate the premises immediately. Before we've finished tea, asked her madge. Best to, said the inspector. I have reason to believe that a nuclear device is primed and ready for detonation in the basement of this building. Perhaps not my London house, then, said her madge. Perhaps Balmoral. If you would be so kind, ma'am, said the inspector, my constable here will lead you down to your car. I can see right through your constable's stomach, said her madge. Is that right? Big Billy, Bamalam, knew what was right, and proper, and taking on other jobs when you were waiting to pick up a celebrity client was neither. Big Billy sat in his limo, listening to a rather depressing program on Radio 4, all about the crisis in the Middle East, and how if talks weren't held soon and problems ironed out, it looked like kiss-your-arse-goodbye time for the Denzians of planet Earth. Except for the cockroaches, however, because, as everyone knows, they will survive a nuclear war. Next to Big Billy's limo, there was only one other limo, the other three limo drivers having slipped away with their limos to fit in other jobs. And the remaining black stretch limo parked next to that of Big Billy, Ramalama ding dong da da dee da da was lacking for a driver. Its driver, Mr. Esau Good of Smack My Bitch Up Motors, had gone off to take a walk by the ornamental pond and feed the ducks, and tell himself again and again and again that he must not for fear of that exploding implant, ever again mention the name of Elvis Presley. Mr. Presley is leaving the building, said Elvis, as he was ushered down the stairs, through the entrance hall, and out into the drive to where the only limo possessed of a driver was standing, quietly. And joy of joys, there was no unpleasantness. And because Big Billy, boom bang a bang loud in your ear, was a professional, and a gentleman, and so he ushered each and all into his limo and drove away in the direction of Scotland. And let that be a lesson to you, said Inspector Westlake to his two constables. A lesson in what? Constable Justice asked. In evacuation. There'll be medals in this if we pull it off properly. Are there any medals that have black ribbons? asked Constable Paul. It is very black in here. How do you know where you're going? asked Mr. Giggles, the monkey boy. I know exactly where I'm going and exactly what I'm going to do. Do tell. In the darkness, Johnny shook his head. You knew, he said. You knew that the people at the meeting upstairs were being manipulated by the heirloom gang. You knew. So did you, said Mr. Giggles. The manipulating is what all of this is about, surely. I was misled, said Johnny, or fooled, or confused, or, well, don't go blaming me. I'll fix this, said Johnny. I'll fix all of this. I have that bunch upstairs recorded on the laptop. And as for the bunch down below, yes, said Mr. Giggles. Go on. You'll see. I can still see you, said Inspector Westlake. Can you see me? He and his constables were once more in the entrance hall of the big house. Is this a game anyone can play? asked Joan. Like hide the sausage? "'Madam,' said Inspector Westlake, drawing his attention away from Constable Justice. "'You should not be here. You should have evacuated the building.' "'Why?' asked Joan. "'When?' "'Because there is a bomb in the basement. And now.' 
Joan shrugged. There, you see, you have it, she said. A complete lack of continuity. I must have been sitting at this desk when you hustled Her Majesty and Elvis and the rest down the stairs right past my desk here and out to the limo. But did I get told to evacuate? No. It was just as if I didn't exist. Complete lack of continuity. Appalling. There was another of those silences. And the sun did go behind a cloud. And a dog did howl in the distance. So, can anyone play? asked Joan. Madam, said Inspector Westlake. Call me Joan, said Joan. Joan, said Inspector Westlake. It is very possible that a nuclear bomb, which has been secreted in the basement of this building, will shortly be detonated. So I suppose that it matters not whether I call you Madam or Joan. So, Madam, I was just checking with my constable here as to whether our invisibility suits are working. Joan shook her head. You're shaking your head, Madam. That is because you are not wearing an invisibility suit. Just your constables. The continuity is all over the place, I'm telling you. And as for nuclear bomb in the basement, Joan laughed. Loudly. You are laughing, madam, said Inspector Westlake. And I am finding all this talk about continuity somewhat alarming. As well you might. The receptionist leaned back in her receptionist chair, stretching her arms up above her head, and gave her bosoms that special thrust out. There is no bomb in the basement, she said. No bomb at all. There isn't, said Inspector Westlake. Joan arose from behind the desk, came around to where Inspector Westlake was standing, and took him by the hand. She smiled up into his eyes and gave his hand a firm gripping. And then she did the same to Constable's Justice and Paul, respectively. Madam, said Inspector Westlake, whatever are you doing? I'm just giving you all a little handshake, said Joan. A little touch of something special, as it were. Although you've already had a little touch of it back at your lodgings. A little touch of something special. Something special? Very, said Joan, all a smile. A bit of, how shall I put this? Animal magnetism. Magnetism? Inspector Westlake stared at his hand. Oh, there's nothing to be seen, said Joan. It has to be passed on through a handshake, as it has been for centuries as it is passed from one generation to the next by those who are members of the Special Brotherhood. Inspector Westlake said, What? But he already was somehow becoming unclear about exactly why he was standing here in this entrance hall talking to this woman. A little voice inside his head seemed to be saying, There's nothing for you here. Take your constables down to the pub for a drink. Well, said Inspector Westlake, I don't think there's anything for me here. Shall we adjourn to the pub, constables? Constable Paul looked at Constable Justice, and Constable Justice looked at Constable Paul, and both seemed to come to a simultaneous conclusion that indeed there was nothing for any of them here, and yes, indeed, it would be a really good idea to simply go down to the pub. Would it be all right if I joined you? asked Joan, and three heads nodded. So she did. Chapter 50 And then there was only Johnny which seemed rather a shame. Rather an anti-climax, somehow. What with the comic possibilities of all those ludicrously armed special operations personnel and the landmines on the pitch and putt, and the chauffeurs with the humorously named limo hire companies, and Elvis and Bob the not-so-comical pup, and Ahab the Arab, and her Madge, and Inspector Westlake, and two invisible constables, and the lovely Joan, all vanished away, as it were, leaving just Johnny Hooker. Shame. Not that Johnny would have seen it that way, of course. 
although he probably would have appreciated some sort of armed backup to guarantee some big gun action, if required, even if it did mean lots of Gunnersbury Park Museum getting blown to boogeration in the process. But it was not to be. There was only Johnny, and Johnny marched on along a secret passage, pushed upon a secret panel, and entered an underground storeroom to be greeted by someone within. Count Otto Black, I presume, said Johnny, deathless supervillain and master of the heirloom gang. Welcome, Johnny Hooker, said the Count. Chapter 51 Dust and musky odors, antique leather, fabric, burnished brass and lacquered wood, a candelabrum, and there, in uncertain light, the gang of villains, large as life, and not too easy on the eye. And, as it were, a dreamscape, shifting shadows, shining, bulky, the terrible heirloom, as it was some mighty cabinet. It's board with keys of ebony and ivory, its barrels with their polished nozzles and their gleaming turncocks, and its great glass conducting tubes, huge and glowing from within where plasma vortexes of magnetic flux swirl sinuously, energized, sensitized, awaiting the touch upon the keyboard, the notes, the cords to send their forces forth like wicked messengers. Swirl and flow, flickering candle flame, curious faces, ancient powdered wigs, queer frocked coats with quilted sleeves, outre, strange, unreal. Johnny Hooker gave a little bow, as somehow this seemed appropriate. And so you know my name, said he, although I must confess that I am not surprised. Your name, said Count Otto, and he fished from his cloth of gold embroidered waistcoat an antiquated timepiece and held its face towards a candle's flame. And you are on time, to the minute, to the second, probably, as expected. Well, that is a happy happenstance. And Count Otto Black now bowed and all respect to a worthy opponent. You played your half of the game with vigor, and with dedication, and you know my name. I am impressed. And by the twinkle of the candle's flame, the heirloom gang applauded Johnny. And Jack the schoolmaster said, Well done, that man. Johnny Hooker bobbed his head to this applause. Please save your hand clappings, he said. The final act has yet to be played out. Count Otto Black cocked his head on one side, and ran a knuckle slowly over his forehead. "'You do appear to be somewhat unaware of your dire predicament,' he said. "'You do know that I now must kill you?' "'You're certainly welcome to try,' said Johnny. "'We'll see how things work out.' "'Such bravado! Such braggadocio! But, Johnny, see, you are alone. All alone. The soldier boys have gone away. Everyone has gone away, as we arranged it, as we played it and he mimed a little keyboard trill. And very well he mimed it. There is only you left, my dear boy. Only you. To do what? To save mankind? Just you? Whatever it takes, Johnny said. And he put his hands in his trouser pockets and did a little boot-heel scuffing on the dusty floor. My dear, dear boy, said the Count. All alone like a poor orphan lad. You are here, and we are here. But still you do not see it, do you? Why you are here? Why you, out of the thousands of millions alive on this planet? Why you? Don't know. Don't care, said Johnny, tracing his initials in the dust. So you don't think it... 
How shall I put this? Odd? Odd? And Johnny Hooker laughed. Odd? I should say it's odd, but I've been coming to terms with odd. Odd and me have a few secrets anymore. We enjoyed you, said the Count. You did everything that we'd hoped you'd do. You didn't let us down. You didn't disappoint us. Johnny Hooker stood his ground. You see, you were chosen, said the Count. Or rather, you chose yourself. The da-da-dee-da-da code, said Johnny. How charmingly put. But of course, we needed someone in order that we might test our defenses. We never leave anything to chance. No cost is too great in the cause. No cost, said Johnny. No lengths will you not go to, which include murdering your own in order to cover your tracks. Not all of our own. The Count ran his slender fingers gently up and down one of the tall glass conducting tubes. Little cracklets of magnetic energy sparked between the glass and his fingers. Everything had to keep pace, to be achieved in the right order. Our interventions in the way of mankind are infrequent. When we do intervene, we leave no loose ends, no evidence of our comings and goings. If it is necessary to sacrifice some of our own to the greater good, then so be it. No nobler fate could there be. James Crawford was not one of ours, and he needed to be silenced. He knew far too much, and he was a man who might have been believed. And he was immune to the powers of the heirloom, as was his ancestor Sir Henry before him. They could not be controlled, and so, and Count Otto drew a finger across his throat. You mad murdering bastards, said Johnny. What must be, must be. Your little imaginary friend explained so much to you regarding how conspiracy theorists are always thwarted. Because those in ultimate control are so ludicrous, impossible, and unlikely that no one in their right mind, and Count Otto did that finger thing to mime inverted commas, no one in their right mind would ever believe such nonsense. It would take someone like you, who has never really been in your right mind, to believe in the Parliament of Five, or the Heirloom Gang. I have seen both with my own eyes, said Johnny, Yet no one would ever believe you, because you are a certified stone bonker. So you'll be letting me go, then. No, we'll be killing you. I thought I had made that clear. I hope I made it clear to you that you can try, but tell me this, said Johnny. You always win. You never, ever lose. Is that right? This is what wins. Count Otto Black ran a loving finger over the heirloom. This impossible piece of technology. This fantasy. This stuff of dreams, this paranoid, schizophrenic, delusional architecture, or whatever the fashionable phrase of the day is coined to describe it. The impossible heirloom. This is the truth. This reality. What the world believes unreal is real, and probably the other way about. As for myself and my companions here, what are we? Who are we? Shades? Ciphers? Can you pin us down? Do we have real origins, birth certificates? No, we are the stuff of rumor and myth. The heirloom is the reality. Its music orchestrates history. Its music is the background music to life itself, and much more than that. Me, my gang, we are nothing. We fade to gray, become as crumbling mummies. In an instant we are here, and then in another we are gone, to be replaced by others. The final chords have been played, and now the curtain falls upon mankind. So that, said Johnny, and he pointed to the heirloom, that is the truth? Count Otto Black smiled and nodded. 
Beautiful, isn't it? He said, stroking up and down a tall glass cylinder. Exquisite. The perfect work of genius. An instrument capable of influencing people's minds. Controlling these minds. Putting thoughts into these minds that are so compelling that they must be translated into actions. And this instrument. This controller of controllers. What powers it, do you think? The Count now pointed to the great polished oaken barrels. Brazen tubes rose from the center of their sealed tops and penetrated the heirloom side. Powered by what? cried the Count, with some degree of animation. Powered by shit. Bullshit. Cow shit. Horse shit. Human shit. Shit. Isn't that a treat? Isn't that the ultimate irony? The ultimate cosmic joke? Bullshit baffles brains. That's a present-day saying, isn't it, Johnny? And how true that is. It's all shit, Johnny. All of it. Everything run by, powered by shit. And somehow, in your heart of hearts, you knew that, didn't you? Your shit, said Johnny. Everything about you is shit. The way you treat people. The way you have treated me. Cruel, said the Count. But it is what we do. There always has to be a Johnny Hooker in the equation. It's part of the game. The Count of St. Germain, Handel, Morishai the Castrato, and Robert Johnson. And yourself. And in common what? Always a musician. That is the common bond. Tell me about the music, said Johnny. Please. It is always the music, and always the musicians. It is all around you, Johnny. It always has been, but never so much as now. You could not escape from music. It plays in your lifts and your supermarkets, your shops and malls and pubs and clubs. It is everywhere. And behind it, unseen, the heirloom. The glove woman tickles the ivories and the music plays. The messages are sent. We're here, we're there, we're everywhere. But when? Where? Who knows? What messages are being sent? Vote for this man. Do this. Do that. And it always goes, da-da-dee-da-da, said Johnny. And you cannot escape from it. This here and now. Today. This is a very special occasion beyond the everyday. Today is history in the making. Today is the beginning of the end. Forever. I see, said Johnny. Well, I see some, if not all. In truth, the big question might be, why do you do it? If it is only the heirloom that has true reality, as it were, what is the point? Do you obey a machine? Does the heirloom have some kind of sentience? Does it command you? Oh, no, no, no. Count Otto shook his beard. We take our orders directly from our master. Ah, said Johnny. Your master. And I don't really need to ask who your master is, do I? The god of this world? The orchestrator? The one who wants this world destroyed, returned to chaos? You are thinking, perhaps, Satan? Said Count Otto Black. I am. Then, alas, you are incorrect. There is no Satan. Never was and never will be. There is another, a lover of, how shall I put this, pandemonium? Music, Johnny. It's all to do with the music. The solution to the code that goes da-da-dee-da-da. Three notes, Johnny, as in the three-chord trick, as in the three letters that spell out the name of our god. Pan, Johnny. Our god is the god of music, the god of pandemonium. Our god is Pan. Pan, said Johnny slowly, and suddenly it all made sense. Well, at least to Johnny it did. And there you have it, said the Count. But we have spoken enough. 
The final overture must now be played. The concert will soon be done. The world will shortly return to chaos, destruction and chaos, the way it was when my master ruled it, before another brought order out of chaos. God, said Johnny. Well, obviously God. But we have talked enough. The glove woman must now play out the final chords. The Parliament of Five has signed their orders, and now they must die. Die, said Johnny. You're going to kill the Queen and Elvis and that dog? And all those in that car, said the Count, including Countess Vanda, whom you might either be pleased or not so pleased to know, as you might put it, is one of the good guys, influenced by the heirloom. All of them must die. It will be a terrible motor car accident. The chauffeur will drive them off a flyover. Foreign chauffeur? Suicide chauffeur? Outrage. War. Nuke those foreign bastards. But of course not. That's not the British way. Troops out of Iraq. Then that unexpected nuke. All preordained. Preplanned. Preprogrammed. By us. And boom. And Count Otto mimed this boom. Boom, said Johnny. Boom, said the Count. No, said Johnny. No? No. And Johnny shook his head. I'll have to stop you there, he said. I can't have you assassinating the Queen. It has to be, said Count Otto. Soon she and those in the car will be beyond the heirloom's range. They will awaken from their trances, as it were. We can't have that, now can we? All would have been wasted. All is wasted, said Johnny. You and your miserable crew and that unspeakable bit of apparatus are finished. You are not going to assassinate the Queen, nor draw the whole wide world into nuclear war. I will not permit it. You will not permit it? Count Otto Black gave a villainous laugh, pulled a flintlock pistol from his pocket, and pointed it at Johnny. The show's not over till the gloved lady plays, said Count Otto. Madam, play that long loony note and let it float. And the glove woman's hands hovered over the keyboard. And Count Otto Black's thumb cocked the hammer of the flintlock. And it looked as if that was that. No, cried Johnny. Please. No time, said the Count. Goodbye. No, please, please, please. At least a last request. It will have to be a quick one. Really, really quick, I promise. This is all about music, yes? Then please let me end it with music of my own. Just a little, please. A little music? And Count Otto Black looked baffled. A tiny little hymn to Pan. It's all I ask. It won't take a moment. A tiny hymn to Pan? Then so you may. And Johnny Hooker took from his pocket a certain something. A certain something that had come from the pocket of a mummy. A certain something that Johnny had blown in the saloon bar of the middleman. With devastating consequences. And Johnny Hooker hastily put this slim, brass, cylindrical certain something to his lips and blew it as hard as he could.